from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. Twenty seventeen Tesla became the first street legal art car here to be able to be done in this way. Uh, so, but the starting premise is that it's a you know twenty seventeen Tesla. It's probably a thirty thirty five thousand dollar car at this moment in time. So then we wrap it into a digital one of one artwork of mine uh, that is about the DeFi movement. It's called Compound Defiance, and it's the first one that I made about DeFi. And this is uh, I think in twenty eighteen or something like that or 2019. So it's wrapped in that. And then with this uh, VR, Finnish VR company called Zoan, we're making a virtual reality asset of that car. So it also becomes a VR version of it that gets you access to their new metaverse called Cornerstone Land, where we're going to build a racetrack where those who buy the whole stack get to race these cars. And then you you can essentially do e-racing um, in this new kind of setting in this world where, you know, we'll have sponsorships and those who win the races will win money. Those who invest, uh, they, they might NFTs in order to be able to participate watching the race and then they can bet on the racers. You can just endlessly like add value to something that starts from uh, essentially a liability as a car yeah. to a multi-stacked uh, sort of uh, investment vehicle that then um, sort of might earn you residual income that is also an education. Because now on the street, when people sometimes chase us with these cameras, like what is this kind of thing? If you're driving those cars, first they start to think, okay, so the car physically is of value in this thing. Then they start to think, oh, but what is the art valued at? What does it mean that you have among the first few in Dubai that have been made street legal? What does it mean that you have access to a virtual reality asset that can be through blockchain transferred into variety of platforms, essentially from game to game, essentially? What does it mean to have this access to this world that has been generated to race these cars? But, and it just keeps on going like that. It's, it's like this mosaic that, that just explodes in front of you. That is, it's a literal vehicle to the metaverse. It's an education. So this is, I just couldn't think of a better way uh, to do a use case for NFTs in order to, that probably to many people will ultimately lead to an education about what money is, because uh, it leads you to Bitcoin, right? Uh, so all of these things are, are just happening, uh, naturally unfolding in front of you. And it might just be that you saw, saw something pretty and then you're down a rabbit hole that you, there's no coming back from. From Vedic Bitcoin deities to a 2017 Tesla minted as an NFT and driving around the streets of Dubai, Finnish artist Vesa is at the epicenter of a rapidly evolving art market and creative community here in the Middle East. He rose to prominence through a body painting of Bollywood actress Veena Malik in 2013 and began to explore the world of Bitcoin and crypto art not long afterwards. Chatting on a Saturday morning in Dubai, Vesa is aware that technology has changed his life and his art. For example, the NFT Teslas will soon be available to race in a metaverse. In the future, you'll be experiencing and buying art in VR. So at this point, we're all aware that NFTs, crypto and the blockchain are reshaping the art market. But what if they could go further to reshape art itself? And if so, what would that art look like? Will the artistic movements of the future be for the few 
or for everyone in cyberspace? What will their values be? Tune in for a tour de force on how art and creativity are the future of technology. Today we're talking to Vesa on the UAE Tech Podcast. Vesa, thanks for joining us. Um, we've spoken a couple of times in some other forums, uh, but very quickly for the our audience that might not know you, I'm sure that quite a few do. But what are you? What are you up to? What are you doing here in Dubai? And what is your story? Hey, John. Uh, very nice to see you this morning. Uh, it's been an incredibly uh, not fun way to wake up. I just uh, spent a little bit of time sort of stretching and jumping into the pool. Uh, this is obviously not something that a, a Finnish national gets to usually do in February. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort of yeah. Good intro. Good. Sort of yeah. Fresh, fresh berries and, and kind of just uh, looking forward to this conversation very much. I mean, Dubai has been treating me incredibly well. Uh, it's, a, it's a super dynamic atmosphere where uh, it feels like people are building. Uh, one of the, the great pleasures of being around here is that I'm, I'm, I'm just someone, there's nothing wrong with deconstruction. It's great to deconstruct an engine to know how it works, uh, but it does feel a little bit like in the West, we've taken this deconstruction philosophy movement a little too far, and it's come to the point where it's hindering um, this kind of positive upward spiral in a, in a sense, because we're just chopping things into bits and analyzing them a little too much. And what it feels like over here is that uh, people um, are, are just in this phase where everything is booming upward. And there's incredible opportunity because of that. And that kind of mentality, people tend to now migrate into Dubai and be a part of this incredible ecosystem this way. Um, so I find it incredibly easy to make friends. Uh, projects are coming from left, right and center to the point of where I have to even say no to really great things that I wouldn't normally want to say no to but there's just simply too plentiful uh, that you kind of have to focus on things a little bit. And um, I'm happy to go into all of these uh, different kinds of things and what I'm doing, whatever, but just as a, as a general invitation to people who are uh, maybe feel a little hindered by the kind of atmosphere that you might have in Europe and even to a degree in America, um, th this is a wonderful place where, you know, the, the leaders are looking into the future, long-term view, uh, and uh, the, it, it feels very supportive for this kind of venture. Yeah, I mean, thanks for that introduction. I think uh, riffing off that, there's, you know, your point on kind of those who are building. Um, I agree with you. I mean, I've been in the Middle East 10 years. I think, I, you know, it seems like you've been in and out um, over the past, since I've been here a couple of years, quite a lot. But I think you understand the vibe here so well. And it is true. There's loads of people building. And sometimes I find... Sometimes uh, when I go back home to the West, there's two things that, that um, particularly in the UK, which is a particular culture at times. The first is if you're kind of nice and friendly, people think you're stupid. <laughs> so it's like, no, I'm not stupid. I've just been living in the Middle East for 10 years and we're kind of, you know, we don't have as much baggage. Like people are generally kind of, you know. And then the second thing is, and this might be partly because I'm also half in the academic world, that when you're writing about technology and stuff, it is very easy to sneer. Of course, there are always issues with technology. There are all sorts of, you know, ethics things to talk about. And, and we, we might talk about some of those things today. But generally, my sympathy is always with the people who are building, 
rather than the people who are in an air-conditioned room saying, you know, this is awful, we need to legislate, this is this is dangerous, or oh, that, you know, all that kind of stuff. That negativity can zap you. And if you're if you're in, you know, some parts of the world and parts of Europe as well, it's on, that negativity can hold you back because you think, well, what's the point? Or I'm not going to make it anyway, or you know. Whereas if you're in a culture where most of the people you meet at a conference are trying to do some cool stuff, are willing to collaborate, which I think is also quite important, you know, that culture mm -hmm. of collaboration, kind of working together to get a win-win. All of those things I do see in Dubai and they're things I really like. And I think they're things you seem to have noticed too, because, you know, you've been going to all the conferences, you've been working on the intersection of the art world and the tech world too here, which is something that's quite interesting about you. Um, so, I mean, how have the past, how's this year, how's the year, this year started in Dubai? What conferences have you been to? What have you seen on the ground here in the NFT market, in the art market, in the tech market over the past few months? Um, if you don't mind, there was just something on the tip of my tongue that I wanted to riff on what you were saying a little bit before going yeah, sure. into that, which is that this thing about uh, sort of, um, if you're nice, you're, you're equated as stupid. But I think the word here is gentle that there's a gentleness to the energy of people here and it, it, humbleness is very much appreciated. And I think that humbleness has a function and that has something to do with the build atmosphere. Because if you serve uh, the sort of big picture of things and you find a slice of how you can contribute to something and you humbly serve that bigger picture, then the, the, the energy can circulate in a different kind of way. And this is the clunkiness of the, so, the very narrow intellect point of view that we seem to have adopted in the West. And that kind of slight brash arrogance a little bit is like, are you sharp or are you not? Is that the intellect cuts into things. It doesn't necessarily generate in that certain kind of sense. So it, it's just a very interesting way of how you brought it about. And it, it kind of to say how gentleness or niceness is actually the facilitator of growth. And that, that, so it's really the reverse of, of like, if you're really sort of brash this way, or you're very arrogant in some way, or you don't have a service mentality, that's exactly when you're stupid, because nothing can really progress in a good way if you have that kind of mentality. So I just no. wanted to no, throw that in. And also nice, you're right, because nice can be fakeness sometimes, whereas gentleness and a kind of sense of, you know, proportionate humility can sometimes even be confidence. You know, I don't need to act aggressively. I don't need to assert my intellect at every every point you know i don't i don't need to do these things i just want to work with yeah people. plus none of us are that smart anyway i mean there's there's a big picture happening happening that we're happy I mean, to be a part not. of and... yeah when i i mean i you know again we're, we're we're going down the rabbit hole but some of the most intelligent people here i've met have been at blockchain or crypto parties i've just left those parties thinking man you know like I've got a reasonably credentialed CV and I just feel guilty about it. When I meet some of these guys, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what the hell? Some of the, and from all over the world, by the way, like gen often from, you know, Asia and, and Eastern Europe. And, you know, I've, I've spoke with some of the blockchain crypto guys here and just a really nice people to talk to, but so interesting. Just, you know, the, the debates you have. So that for me personally has been a, a really uh, interesting thing about this space as well just meeting some of those guys who don't always come from the same universities I have the same kind of cultural educational background but can kind of talk about code or science or politics in a way I hadn't really heard before before I came here to some extent well that, that's one thing about um 
what, what I really enjoy about the crypto community because I've, I've tried to as a as an artist I get to um, be anywhere and everywhere and hang out with uh, just about anyone because it's it's this sort of like sacred clown profession where where the <laughs> the, the status doesn't really you, you can fluctuate quite a bit as opposed to in versus maybe in some other professions and haven't you heard that famous quote? haven't you heard that Sorry? famous quote have you heard the famous quote about artists being the most dangerous of people yeah oh yeah, yeah 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 that one yeah yeah it's very... <laughs> Yeah, mixed well, with it, all, it's mixed with high. It's true, right? But yeah. But so what I, what I find so incredible about the blockchain community uh, altogether is that I tried hanging out with the hippies and I th there was a little too much self-deception and disorganization and that kind of thing. I tried hanging out with just the entrepreneurs and that was a little too bottom line. Uh, th there was like good faith organizations and all, all different kinds of groups I was trying to fit into. And the, the crypto community is really the first one where, uh, I, I mean, the, the, the slight spectrum feels comfortable for me. Uh, there's uh, there's um, uh, this vision of something greater. There's resources. There's actual uh, project management handling skills. And then, um, you know, still this very kind-hearted spirit of wanting to contribute something to the world. I mean, obviously, like every community, where whatever segment or sector you go to in life, you will have the people who you can point to and say, well, these are the bad actors and the bad apples and the whatever it is, and therefore everything is garbage. But I think I just sort of navigate with this idea that, um, well, likely in all different kinds of sectors, maybe 90% of it is not something that is resonant with what I want to do. But I, go, I, I try and find the the frequency that suits me from every kind of thing and try and pull something together from it that makes sense. And as making friends and kind of building with people and meeting the kind of people that I want to hang around with, the blockchain community has been the easiest by far that from anything that I've tried before. And it feels like, okay, so if I have to be inside of one bubble, you know, this, this might be mine. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it is, it's a pretty interesting bubble. You know, I haven't, traveled that much over the past few years but what i do sense is that during covid19 so many of that group were that were already here became kind of more empowered and worked worked on this stuff more but also you know individuals like you and individuals from all over the world came here either by chance or because of you know relatively um open uh rules and there are a lot of entrepreneurs here and stuff um working on problems and that has shifted the scene as well like you know it feels like it is a kind of a hub or an international spot for this kind of work that wasn't necessarily the case two years ago so it's not like it's a kind of you know little backwater anymore either it feels like there is actually real stuff going on here well credit where credit is due i mean i was on a um tone vase podcast that the the previous bitcoin halvening uh, which was an interesting podcast because Tone was encouraging everyone to drink. And it's the first and the last podcast where I've ever downed a half a bottle of vodka and gotten into a fight about NFTs with Jimmy Song. But <laughs> re re regardless of this, this amazing lady called Crypto Granny, Anita Kalergis, who's a fellow Finn, she spotted me from that uh, podcast and shot me a, a message on LinkedIn immediately. And we got talking. We talked in like three hours straight. And she's been coming here in and out for 15 years. And she's a consultant and, and you know, took on this handle of Crypto Granny because she was forcing a lot of the sort of uh, spectrum um, uh, Bitcoin guys to actually reduce their language to the point of being understandable so that they could mm. attract better investors. So mm. she's this sort of social glue 
type of person. And it's because of her that I was introduced to Dr. Marwan, who's the CEO of Dubai Blockchain Center. And I was able to come here for the first time. And now that it led to that me and my wife ultimately moved here a, a little, a year and a a year and a half after that, you know, that, that this is the, the incredible power that just these introductions have had. And, and, and the main reason, one of them it being here, that Dr. Marwan, I, I showed him this picture of, a, of an art Tesla that I made as a concept like already back in 2014. And uh, essentially, I was just inspired by what Elon Musk was built and how the whole strategy was that you essentially you make a roadster but then you trickle it down to different kind of consumerist cars but what it's actually about is the transformation of the energy grid you know th those kinds of things blew my mind and 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 those would have been the kinds of things that you know the da vinci's and the michelangelo's would have been inspired by their day in the renaissance and this mm -hmm. is how it ties into bitcoin and crypto and art and, and, and sort of the transformation of society and the service mentality is that how I feel that if I do my job right, I'm in some sort of a way through art contributing to this transformation. It's either communication on, on whatever level that helps people be inspired, see new opportunity or see from the artistic point of view of what we could achieve even better. And that's just a beautiful thing. And and how that's now coming about is that, you know, among the many things that we discussed with Dr. Marwan, the, the art car was just one of them. Uh, so I just showed him the picture of it. And this is a couple of months later that the guy calls me and he's like, Vesa, I've bought 17 cars <laughs> and we will be transforming these into NFTs, which is now 55 cars altogether. Uh, Whoa, in, I didn't in know it was that collection. Okay. It's Dubai, you know, so yeah. <laughs> and it's expanding from there. But the project started evolving because uh, and this were this is where the tokenization and crypto people might get fired up a little bit with the possibility, because uh, due to Dr. Marwan's connections, it was possible for us to do an art car because he pushed it through the bureaucracy so that his personal Tesla, a 2017 Tesla, became the first street legal art car here to be able to be done in this way. Uh, so, but the starting premise is that it's a, you know, 2017 Tesla, it's probably a $30,000, $35,000 car at this moment in time. So then we wrap it into a digital one-of-one -one artwork of mine uh, that is about the DeFi movement. It's called Compound Defiance, and it's the first one that I made about DeFi. And this is, uh, I think, in 2018 or something like that or 2019. So it's wrapped in that. And then with this uh, VR, Finnish VR company called Zoan, we're making a virtual reality asset of that car. So it also becomes a VR version of it that gets you access to their new metaverse called Cornerstone Land, where we're gonna build a racetrack, where those who buy the whole stack get to race these cars. And then you, you can essentially do e-racing um, in this new kind of setting in this world where, you know, we'll have sponsorships and those who win the races will win money. Those who invest, uh, they, they might NFTs in order to be able to participate watching the race and then they can bet on the racers. You can just endlessly like add value to something that starts from uh, essentially a liability as a car yeah. to a multi-stacked uh, sort of uh, investment vehicle that then um, sort of might earn you residual income that is also an education. Because now on the street, when people sometimes chase us with these cameras, like, what is this kind of thing? If you're driving those cars, first they start to think, okay, so the car physically is of value in this thing. Then they start to think, oh, but what is the art valued at? What does it mean that you have among the 
first few in Dubai that have been made street legal. What does it mean that you have access to a virtual reality asset that can be through blockchain transferred into a variety of platforms, essentially from game to game, essentially? What does it mean to have this access to this world that has been generated to race these cars? But, and it just keeps on going like that. It's, it's like this mosaic that, that just explodes in front of you. That is, it's a literal vehicle to the metaverse. It's an education. So this is, I just couldn't think of a better way to do a use case for NFTs in order to, that probably to many people will ultimately lead to an education about what money is, because it leads you to Bitcoin, right? So all of these things are just happening, naturally unfolding in front of you. And it might just be that you saw something pretty and then you're down a rabbit hole that you, there's no coming back from. I mean, that, yeah, it's kind of a, an amazing and crazy Dubai case study. And there's so much of kind of, you've got, you've, you're right. I mean, just in terms of, not just in terms of branding, but the way you described it, you know, to begin with, you've got, you've chosen a Tesla. Then you've got the artwork on, on top of it, NFT'd it, um, exhibited it, driven it around, got the regulatory or some kind of, you know, approval to do that. Flipped it into a virtual asset already. It's already an NFT, put it in the metaverse. And then you've got this gamification thing where people are driving it. So I think that kind of, illustrates for the readers what kind of a time you've been having in Dubai <laughs> sounds like sounds like a fun time but you know the second part of that is which is is can often get lost is how do you think these technologies are changing your life as a creator and what you do and how you work as a creator because all of this is changing so fast well to me um i've been building 14 years digital art i mean what you see behind me here is that it looks like a traditional painting to to most people but in actual fact what my innovation was 14 years ago was to start body painting on people photographing that process uh painting and then photographing those paintings and putting it together with photoshop so my works have been digital originals since 2008 essentially and uh, that was a huge problem for me to try and fit into the the art world, but even though I reached uh, many people through big projects and did essentially pioneering stuff with uh, with digital art, the art world didn't know how to monetize me. There, there was no, um, everyone was after the oil original, or they were like, so what's the original mess of it? And I, I'm saying it's a file. I, I can do various things like this one, I print and it's only three, then you, I paint on top of it, I limit it to three, verified on blockchain, I can make an NFT from it, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But before NFTs, uh, there was nothing like it. You, you couldn't really authenticate it. So they weren't interested. So that led to a lot of um, personal challenges because if you can't earn an income uh, in a way that makes sense, you know, everyone knows how that can be for artists throughout history, essentially. And I had to pay the price for that. So um, in 2017, when I finally understood what Bitcoin was, I immediately sensed that this was going to lead to NFTs. Those were the first murmurs and rumors already circulating around it and what it's going to be. And then once it clicks that, okay, so this is digital land ownership, this is digital buildings, spaces, museums, tickets, uh, drum beats, whatever can be all of a sudden tokenized in this matter made, made into uh, scarcity, it, it just open, opened up the world and I went full in like immediately for, so that's four and a half years ago, so, so to speak. Um, so I have 350 digital high resolution originals that I've been building over 14 years. Now, I've been patiently waiting for the collectors and the market to be ready to kind of absorb the substance because there's one part of the technology is that you have uh, a lot of the crypto guys 
like we were discussing, they're often the smartest guys in the room. Uh, they have a lot of wealth, uh, sometimes quite an alpha attitude, whether female or male, it doesn't matter. It's mm. quite a driven uh, mentality, and, but quite often not an education or a background in art. And then they realize that NFTs are a great use case for crypto, that it might actually flip around, that NFTs will educate people about crypto and not the other way around. So they went full force ahead in it. And um, there's a little bit of, you know, uh, defying of authority and this kind of thing and not always asking for advice even. And the, the, the art world is a confusing place to begin with. But then you have this uh, fine art world in particular in art that is looking at what is possible now, but there's not really a, a, an atmosphere of cultivating real culture like from, from yeah. a fine art perspective. There's the quick flip mentality. This is very alien to the gallerists. It's very alien to the fine artists. This is very alien to like high level collectors who understand how to like curate proper collections that will last generations essentially. So this is not yet here. And what I'm in some sense, and I say this slightly tongue in cheek and lovingly because I've seen some of the headaches of this space ever since the, the, everything started, uh, with regards to NFTs, is that we have a little bit of the worst of the art world and the worst of the NFTs now. And what I'm wanting to build and curate here behind the scenes as much as I possibly can and in front of the scenes is the best of the legacy art world, something that comes from a tradition of thousands and thousands of years. And then, you know, everything that is now possible in the metaverse for the future to kind of come together to build a solid foundation of things. And what that means uh, even just monetarily, is that now that we're looking at the punks and the apes and everything, and there's so much that the uh, the fine art world has to learn from the collectible space that it's it's not even like there's so much that the, that the fine art world can learn. But the other way around as well is that if these apes can do a couple of million or whatever it is, now with those who are the pioneers and making substantial art projects, the fine art world can eclipse the collectors collectible space uh, through some artists and, and whatever. I'm not sure in terms of market cap, how that's going to like mirror each other, what's going to have more, uh, but I'm, I'm saying individual artists and individual collections, uh, they, they can do so much more than what we now refer to as the maybe like a 5 million floor uh, for like essentially the modern masters, like Picasso's and Dolly's and whatever. I mean, uh, good luck even finding a Dolly for $5 million that is a substantial art piece. But those people who are now building that kind of a momentum that Dolly's and Picasso's and Rothko's and, you know, all of that is happening. Uh, it, it's it's mind-blowing for me to think of what kind of, even just in numbers that can do because the cultural shift of everything that we're involved with is so massive. It's on such a different scale that was possible before. And where this really ties into and gets even more exciting, uh, I think, because it was Andres Antonopoulos who really introduced me uh, to this space through his YouTube videos. I, I started understanding the true relevance of Bitcoin and why it was important. And one of the things that he said, like to begin with, was that, you know, crypto is really relevant in the places where the fiat currencies are most unstable. And we have 3.5 billion people without a bank account in the world. So now, what that kind of leads to is that, okay, so even in remote places, in villages in Africa, you will have a cell phone tower sometimes, a mobile phone, sometimes a laptop or whatever it is. And what does the world look like that you don't need KYC to have a MetaMask anymore? You don't, you can have a Bitcoin wallet uh, and then you get to start making digital products. So what if 
slowly within five years, 10 years, 20 years, basically the, the least economically privileged in the world get to start generating their own uh, digital economies and digital trade and jumpstart uh, everything that they missed out on the uh, sort of industrial revolution. And then how does that reflect back into the physical world? Does that is that are NFTs actually the engine that will bring up the, the, the sort of poverty level of the world up on a scale that we've never seen before? And these are the kinds of things that you play about as an artist, as, as concepts and try and represent. Like, for example, this artwork here is uh, I was trying to uh, figure out how to introduce Bitcoin from an artistic point of view to India. So that's Lakshmi, the goddess of health and wealth, but she's raining down Bitcoin. So mm. it's all the different mm. kinds of value symbols, like mm. gold or silver, and pearls and healing and, and whatever. But uh, so it's it sort of, I thought, okay, so if their traditional goddess of wealth accepts it into the divine portfolio, that is when it would do its mission to go to those who most desperately would need to hear what the message is. So I try and do things like that and, and, and contribute a slice that would be, like I was saying to begin with, a service. Uh, and, and I think that's the way to make sustainable art. That's the way to make something that will last beyond, uh, you know, my mortal coil. And then hopefully be a, a part of something in a small fractional part, even that how we see like the Sistine Chapel. I mean, when the when art was in service of these spiritual ideas and this expansion and what, what was going on, it's inspired tourism for centuries yeah. afterwards that yeah, people yeah, are, are coming there to look at what was achieved. So this is the mentality I'd love to cultivate a little bit more rather than the 0.1 Ethereum flip monkey, you know? Right. And I think that's one of the, you know, because I've heard you talk about this, obviously not on this podcast, but I've heard you refer to this and talk about this in the past. And I thought, okay, maybe there are other people talking about this as much as Vesa, but actually the more I look into the community, the more it seems quite self-satisfied with, with, you know, some of the things, some of the, the, the art, the value of the, the, the artwork itself. So I mean, I, you know, trying, trying to summarize what you just said, and there was so much there, I think we can both agree, and, you know, this is the UAE Tech Podcast, that the infrastructure of the blockchain, the introduction of NFTs, the role of crypto and Bitcoin is reshaping the art world, is reshaping the opportunities open to creators. And, you know, I think we could spend the next five minutes going through all the ways that's happened, but I think you've just basically illustrated it perfectly. And, you know, again, I think, mo again, it's a tech podcast, you know, so I think a lot of people listening will probably understand that and, and some of the, the examples you gave. But this this more interesting question um, is a bit, in a way, it's a bit controversial, but in another way, it isn't. And you've got this idea that, you know, crypto is revolutionizing finance. You also talked about globalization, the idea of anyone being able to participate in online markets and their new digital markets of the future because they, they can open a MetaMask or, or whatever it will be. So you've got this idea that it's not just a technology. This technology is reshaping economics. It's reshaping the basis of finance. And I'll have to be honest, and this is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you to this, this week because I was having coffee uh, with a Greek friend and, and we were sitting there and we were talking about some events in the world that, that we don't need to bring up here, but we're just saying, you know, things are really unstable. And I was saying, you know what? I was, uh, I was kind of a bit um, taken aback yesterday. I was, I was doing some research. I was on, on Twitter and some social media feeds and I was looking at these, these NFTs um, and, you know, the prices of them and the board apes and whatever. And it sounds really bad, but I was saying to my friend, look, I sat back and I couldn't help it. I just thought 
this is great. You know, I understand pump and dump makes money. I understand this is a great business strategy. I understand a lot of people are collecting these things and they're very smart people and they have a good reason for collecting it. But just based on a lot of the artwork I'm seeing, it's bullshit. I, I personally, I'm not talking about what anyone else does. I'm just saying that for me, a lot of this artwork I'm seeing in this space isn't inspiring me. I want to see a cultural revolution. I want to see this technology create new kinds of art that were as beautiful as the Sistine Chapel, that were as universal and go beyond just cartoons and stuff. Yeah, that, that stuff's great. I don't have a problem with people liking it. For me personally, I want to see something more. You know, I want to see stained glass windows in cyberspace. I want to see cathedrals in NFTs. I want to see something that lifts me up. And I said to him, I'm just not seeing it. And I thought he'd be, you know, I thought he'd just be like, yeah, whatever. And he said, well, you know why, don't you? This is the this is the decadence before the fall. <laughs> this is the madness before the collapse. That's what it is. Just sat back and thought, whoa. Um, I'm not sure that's true, but but you see what I'm saying about this idea that okay, we can all agree that that, that this you know this is great and it's creating entirely new opportunities for creators. Now creators need to step up and not stop. Don't just talk to me about the technology. Don't just talk to me how great it is. Give me new things to look at that inspire me and, and work all over the world because it's a global market now. You don't have to be, you don't have to win the New York Times over anymore. It doesn't matter what the art critics of the New York Times. I love fine art, but you know, you can create works for the citizens of cyberspace anywhere in the world as long as they have a, a crypto account. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I find a little painstaking about the, the, the whole art world, uh, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of a rap that I've done about it, but, but if, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to maybe open it up a little bit. I, I just got off on a so whole rap, so yeah, <laughs> please. I've just gone off on a because, whole rap, so yeah. Um, but at the risk of you might have heard, heard this before, but I think it's important to kind of see the relevance of... of that probably the two oldest art forms that we have that we started doing as human beings are cave painting and body painting. Cave painting for all the reasons that you know we, we do art to anyway and have them on canvas and whatever, leaving legacy, uh, and showing skill, communicating something that was about the hunts or you know th things like that. And then body painting was something to transform your consciousness. Maybe you found some strange mushrooms in the forest and all of a sudden found yourself watching at the, looking at the Milky Way, kind of like putting money on yourself. You, you, who knows these things? Or painting yourself for war or for um, the, these different kinds of rituals. And of course, today, we look at body painting more like, you know, a Yankee stadium where some bimbos are painted with their boobs as footballs serving beer type of thing. So there's been a little bit of a deterioration as smart as we think that we are. Uh, but then in comes uh, spirituality and religion. It, it, it's sort of like the Sistine chapels. The church realizes this power of this awe of this communication and these subconscious drives that we have. Uh, in comes Freud uh, and Carl Jung, and, and th there's a whole lineage of things. And then in the, funnily enough, in approximately 1971, when Andy Warhol comes into Providence and, and, and sort of Richard Nixon tooks up, takes out the gold standard from underneath the dollar and the fiat era begins, uh, Andy Warhol starts to make things about, you know, snarky commentary about... Uh, the, the sort of society and consumerism it's a really cool scene it's the rock stars politicians it's like the the hit new york type of thing and it, it's all very exciting and a lot of money is being made 
And where that really forks to is that, you know, during that time, also the Gulag Archipelagos and those kinds of books started coming out of what communism had, had really been about, as opposed to what people and the intelligentsia really thought that it was. And then through that, essentially, this, um, like Foucault and Derrida and a couple of these French philosophers, they, they come up with this moral relati the relativism thing. But it's really, if you look at it, it's still grounded, even though they say that there's no truth, it's still sort of founded on Marxism. So art really forked into these, um, let's say, Jeff Koons and Damien Hirst, this very sexy Miami, like shiny, sexy death thing and throwing millions of dollars and, and flying out of uh, Miami with their private jet into your whatever, that scene, and, and, and auctions at Sotheby's and whatever. And then you have the other one, which is more like the now I ways or the majority of the academic mentality towards art is that it's sort of like left-wing propaganda. It, it, it's, it's That's the intelligently credible art of how it's existed in institutions and in, in sort of um, state-funded uh, sort of atmospheres in a, in a way. And you you... Uh, it, it's quite a narrow bracket that art has really been able to live in during the last 50 years. And now that you look at everything in the metaverse, uh, and what's so exciting about that is that, you know, we, we have these uh, gender and race and culture wars that are going on in a variety of different forms. Uh, but in the metaverse, you can have rockets for feet and you can have an alien head and a car as your torso and no one gives a shit. You know, it, it's like, it's actually offering a solution to many of these things where in the physical world, we're completely stuck in something. So for me personally, because I'm inspired by these spiritual traditions and trying to figure out how life works and, and do my best to kind of dig into some Vedic texts or, uh, you know, mm. you know, the, the, those things Mythology, are super uh, psychoanalysis, history. Yeah. All these things are interesting. And that, that expands. So the bracket where we've been able to be is this narrow. And now the possibilities are as wide as I can stretch my hands. So I, I feel like having these kinds of talks and you giving me this opportunity on a technology podcast where it's kind of like people are going, well, what the hell is going on? How's this related to what I'm doing? Whatever it is. But if you are making now uh, sort of giving opportunity to artists or all of a sudden start to see them around. NFTs are interesting. Okay, they're making money. Oh, we've got to maybe start to try and understand these people. Oh, oh man, that's going to be a headache. Artists are a pain in the ass. All, all, all of this kind of thing starts to come into your sphere. But if we contribute in a certain way, that can lead to a new business. That can lead to another insight that how to offer a product or a service to this community that will expand it and actually take the NFTs even more mainstream. You know, if you look at things from a different point of view of where you're normally absorbed in, that is where the greatest opportunities are because obviously you're out of your comfort zone. And I try and do my very best to kind of absorb what is important about what might be a contribution to people who aren't in my field. Uh, and, and that leads to new opportunities and new kind of synergies in between people that, again, is the build mentality. So that's why I talk about this kind of stuff, that it's, I think it's psychologically super healthy to understand what the problem with the art world has been for a while. It's really great to understand what the possibilities are that open up the future and also a little bit where we're really coming from, because this is why we're making this um, uh, this temple build as a virtual reality gallery with Superworld. Uh, essentially, it's the Karnak temple in Egypt, no, Luxor temple in Egypt that is been built into the image of man and it holds a story on how pharaoh goes from birth to transcendence 
mm. and how through this story the society is kept together and the whole of the pillar structure that is just incredible is held together by art and the story and we don't really have anything like that built for hundreds of years here yeah this is amazing i've never been there but I've, I've seen it a lot and i've got a lot of friends there i've even got archaeologist friends who did work there it's an amazing place so we, we took the building one-to-one, -one, we put it into the metaverse, we made it into my personal gallery and all of those wow. artworks somehow selectively helped this story in order to show what's really great about the past that we've forgotten, mm. where we are now, as in that, you know, as a side to uh, a boring white wall and a kind of snarky attitude gallery in like inner city London or something, you get to experience an art gallery with, a, with goggles or your laptop here in your home that shows you what is possible in the future. I mean, if this is not exciting and you're in some way related to this field, I think you need to check your pulse. I mean, that's yeah, like... definitely. No, and I think I think even the tech community uh, understand this. I think, you know, and that's kind of making a distinction to some extent between the tech community and the business community. Because, you know, one of the things that has surprised me when I was reading about, um, you know, some of the architects of the internet, the early days at DARPA and, and Sir Tim Berners-Lee on the World Wide Web, and then some of these people like Richard Stallman, what I was surprised that was that almost half of their writing was uh, about philosophy and values and about kind of the wider things that they wanted these technologies to achieve. It, these, weren't, these guys weren't just engineers. And I was kind of really, I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware that they, they saw what they were doing in, in much wider like, you know, that you had history, philosophy, social ethics, all that stuff. They were writing about that as much, if not more, than a lot of the stuff they were building. Similarly, I was looking at, you know, Bitcoin but before the crash, before 2008, um, with some of the, you know, experiments on, on mail servers or, or rudimentary token systems. And it wasn't just about finance. They, you know, it wasn't even just about, you know, centralized finance. They were talking about, governance, they were talking about um, systems of representation, they were talking about globalization, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it seems to be happening with the art world now too, hopefully. Um, you know, you can't just talk about art, you have to talk about these new technologies. Similarly, like, I feel like the smart technologists, the people in that community are also kind of, you know, maybe they always were, but they're interested in culture and all the wider things because they understand the interplay between all these new forces. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I guess that that's one question for you. Do you think that, you know, the, the, the legacy art world and, you know, I've worked as an art, a Middle East art dealer uh, in, in the Middle East. I've, I've got a, a gallery that I co-founded in, in Amman that I don't have much to do with anymore. But, you know, I so I know the gallery ecosystem. I know the fine art auction system. And do you think it's going to continue or do you think, you know, within the next five to 10 years, it will be kind of forced to not just accommodate on the technology level. So it's not just what they're already doing, but in VR, right? It's not just what they're already doing, but with crypto, which seems to be kind of what we have, we're having at the moment. But do you think the, the artistic movements themselves, you know, the oeuvre will change as well and how these galleries envisage what they're doing will change? First of all, it's an amazing question, and it's like quite expansive. I'm trying to find the first footing. I, I would say that personally for me, I came in because I had a history since 2006 to understanding what the monetary system was. And I was a bit of a money activist and even produced a documentary film in Finland about the, the system itself. 
um, already like 2010 or something. So I've, I've been waiting for something like that to come along because I, I'd see from an art point of view, the first crypto art uh, that came to support the movement itself in its topics, uh, not only in technology, utilizing the technology, but talking about and assisting this movement to come about, I would say it's the first legit art movement that has happened in 50 years. Mm, you know, that, the, so, and historically, yeah. historically, that's important. And then, of course, what it leads to in technology is one thing. Um, but like you were saying something about, you know, the New York Times and the kind of collapse of everything and this fiat era coming coming down in a uh, in this sort of great reset form, as we hear all of this talk uh, of how these systems are resetting in a, in a multitude of different ways. I, I'd say that, um, how would I put this? Um, The New York Times was something of an experience 10 years ago, and it's a totally different experience now. If, if the Sotheby's and the Christie's don't adopt this thing, they become the dinosaurs and they go about the wayside of history. So yeah. it, it's, uh, they have the power to change, but also they have very stifled organizations. And I, I try and look at things in waves. Like whatever, whether it's the hippie psychedelic movement in the 60s that leads into something gets corrupted and, and then goes to one way and then another wave comes and whatever. I, I, I try not to look at these legacy institutions as solid because a lot of the very important, let's say, university education, uh, you'd, you'd um, have inspiring lectures by Jordan Peterson or you're listening to. Uh, even Joe Rogan with these ver variety of different guests or whatever, a lot of the intellectual substance and the frequency of it is more present than ever, but people still look to leadership in the institutions whose wave has already passed. Yeah. And I think this is like a, who cares if the Sotheby's like, or, or Christie's survive or not, that's their job, that's their problem. I'm happy to participate in their evolution and negotiation and even uh, we're gonna drop some uh, art cars on Sotheby's uh, soon and there, there's incredible opportunity. And I think they have a lot of really important legacy information on how things are sustained, mm -hmm. but it's really up to them and their organization to be mobile enough and understand this whole thing so that you know they can keep up with the times. It, it's uh, the, the future is guaranteed to none of us. We, we can just do our very best to kind of ride this wave and then I would say this is also important about the Dubai thing is that I because um, two, two nights ago I was offered this drink that had my face at the Danish pavilion. Uh, we had this keynote session or whatever. <laughs> nice. And it was you very flattering. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, it was very flattering. Uh, and, and there's one thing, and this is why uh, the sort of spiritual side is so important is that. There's so many ego traps here in Dubai that it's it, it, like that'll somehow perk up your ego, somehow give you a sense of pride or, you, you, you know, these things that that ultimately become your imprisonment. And, and if you if you don't have a grounding uh, that, that sort of just earths you a little bit into this mentality of, of, of serving the bigger picture, then all of a sudden, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much opportunity you have, no matter how initially great your relationships are, these traps can all of a sudden put you in a place where everything comes crashing down in a, in a moment's time. So uh, that, that's, again, why I talk about these things, because it's incredible to, incredibly difficult to bring up the topics of like spirituality and religion and, and, and all of that kind of stuff in, in, in a technology setting. But 
because we're not looking at some of those substantial things that are very helpful to the human psyche about them, this is why many projects burn constantly. And this is why many been, people fail. Yeah, we haven't even been trained to think about them. I mean, we're not, you know, it's not even a criticism in a way. If you look at our education system and our value system, particularly in the West, it's not that we're deliberately avoiding a lot. I mean, sometimes it definitely is, by the way, but all, you know, other times it's not that we're deliberately avoiding like an idea of ethics, right? You know, that kind of Greek sense, you know, it's that we don't even, we've become so, you know, our value system has become so orientated to other things that we, it doesn't even occur to us to think of, oh, okay, you know, maybe art can serve a purpose that's, um, that helps my subconscious, that helps my values, um, that helps me orientate myself in a less egocentric way in the world. I mean, even that's kind of, you know, I think it's a debate artists have, but I'm, I'm guessing for a lot of people just listening to the, to the podcast, that's like, huh, wow, you know, we didn't even think of that, you know? And, and the technology community, of course, you know, they're very interesting. And I said, they do talk of philosophy and stuff, but even that conversations, you know, it's, a, it's still, and, but historically, I guess what, what, what both of us were, were kind of saying here is historically, that's a very normal discussion. And it's probably a noble discussion in most parts of the world. You know what I mean? Um, and so necessary. Yeah, yeah. It's not really optional. People think that it's an optional thing, but then they don't know the price that they're paying, not having that discussion even. Uh, that, that, that perspective is not, um, you know, at all in the conversation is horribly expensive. Yeah. Uh, and it can cost companies. This is, this is the kind of level of actual uh, seriousness that you know we should approach at least a small slice of it as, as something that might be potentially helpful and again where that stems from is humility uh, humility is the key to everything and this is why i really love the the kinds of connections that are being made here and the, the kind of conversations that i'm able to participate in is that i'm very often in the presence of people who could you know flex and do all of their lambo stuff or whatever it is and they are the ones who are saying the very opposite thing. They're the most humble coming into the room and asking, you know, like there's this one gentleman, for example, who's a, who's a Saudi, Saudi guy. And for his privacy, I'm not going to mention, but he's, he has all of these fleets of cars and planes and hotels and whatever it is. And he's the guy who comes into the room and whoever is opening the door for him, he will go and shake his hand or her hand and ask their name and give them significance of, of something. And it, it, it's like this whole, whole presence of that you immediately know that a high status person has come in and then they generously make everyone feel like they're important, like they have something to contribute to this whole thing. And that kind of thing is inspiring. I mean, uh, I, I meet people uh, very often who say, I have my fleets of cars and this and that and whatever. And if it doesn't go deeper than that, I get a sense that this person is impoverished. When, when, when I get a sense of people, when they're talking about other people, how they're elevated, how, how they have something great that, that comes into the picture of how they're, they're, they're helping some school come about or whatever it is. Like if someone's funding a school through smart economics and still maintaining their great wealth and then funneling that into something that helps the world, that is a million times a flex to me than your boring Lamborghini. Uh, you know, it, it's those kinds of things. And that resonance all of a sudden just becomes something incredibly um, luxurious to be a part of. Like, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd rather be on a 40-foot yacht with amazing people than like this 
mega whatever with garbage mentality. <laughs> like it's these navigational systems that really just make a beautiful life or then they break it. And it is that discussion. I mean, you know, we're getting to the end of our, uh, the episode today, but it is that difference between money and wealth, right? I, I was recently seeing, you know, some, some tweets on the United States, which is also true in, in the UK, to, some, to a lesser extent, maybe in parts of Europe, but saying, you know, this country in the United States is, is much poorer than we look. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, so we might not, we might have all these fancy things, but we might not, we don't have that much security. We don't have that much time. I think time's a big one too, right? To spend with each other and just enjoy a community. And a lot of the time we're so stressed that we don't even have, you know, the, the basic just to come in and say hi and sit with people and not, you know, be on the clock. Um, and I guess maybe, you know, the combination of a new kind of art paradigm with new financial systems and new crypto systems could, you know, not just change things in a bureaucratic or technocratic way, but could also change the way we live and make it a little bit better. Hopefully that would be the dream, right? Oh, and I, I probably should offer a, a slight thing about the Lamborghinis. I get that it's an artistic beast of a monster car that is a, a, a marvel of human engineering and, and like whatever. It's, it's personally not my preference of car, but it, I, I obviously see the value of it and I respect it. What I was trying to refer to in the, in the garbage Lamborghinis is the garbage mentality of using that as a shield of human substance uh, for you to just reflect on and not have something that goes a little deeper than that in the in the sort of human community realm of what you were saying. So just to not get myself crucified by the Lamborghini community here. <laughs> yeah, of course. That would be, what, what's that meme on TikTok? Tell me you're in, you're in Dubai without telling me you're in Dubai. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lessa, thanks so much for your time today. I hope we can do this again, maybe maybe later in the year and see how your metaverse is panning out um, and really enjoyed talking with you. John, absolutely likewise. These, these kinds of conversations are really super precious. I'd be happy to jump on anytime. And I hope we get to meet in person and just to have a glass of wine and continue these kinds of conversations offline as well, because this was yeah. a real joy. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Alboaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboaba Business, syndication distribution on Alboaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Alboaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.